0: City University Television presents the American Theatre Wing Seminars, Working in the Theatre. This seminar, playwright, director,
1: choreographer. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre seminars, coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Now in their thirtieth year, these seminars give you the opportunity to learn from the professionals as they share their experiences in working in the theatre. Today's seminars are the panel of playwrights, directors, and choreographers. These are the artists who provide the creative heart of the theatre. And it's their work that we learn about while we discover how the magic of the theater is created. I'm Isabel Stevenson, Chairman of the Board of the American Theater Wing. And now I would like to introduce our moderator for the seminar, the distinguished critic, professor, and editor of the Best Plays book series, and a member of the Wing's Advisory Committee, Jeffrey Eric Jenkins. Jeffrey. Thank you Isabel.
2: Robert Anderson uh, famously remarked that you can 't make a living in the theater, but you can make a killing." <laughs> the people who are with us today, though, have found ways to <clears throat> make lives in the theater i don 't know about any killings that might or might not have been made <laughs> along the way. I want to start by introducing to you our distinguished panel of playwrights directors and choreographers. Our first uh, guest is Jonathan Buttrell, choreographer, Teresa Rebeck, playwright, Arthur Kopit, playwright, Susan H. Schulman, director, and Joey McNeely, choreographer. Now I think we'll start first with Jonathan Buttrell, one of our movement specialists today. (laughs) Uh, you know, I know that you have a couple of Broadway credits, and you're going to be the choreographer of the upcoming production of Fiddler on the Roof, the revival of Fiddler on the Roof that's due to come into the Minskoff, I think, is where it's going. That's right. And uh, David Laveau is the director of that, correct? <laughs> correct. Yes. And what I'm also interested in, though, is I noticed that you were um, credited for movement in Electra, <laughs> in the production of Electra, the Zoe Wanamaker production of Electra, a few years ago, and I'm just fascinated by how uh, that came about as part of your choreographic
3: work. Um, the director of that production was David Laveau, again, All right. uh, who I started a relationship when I worked at the Donmore Warehouse, when we did Nine together. Uh, this production of Nine that's now on Broadway I mean. started its original life back in London on, at the Donmore Warehouse. And we found a way of working that was kind of integral, that we found a way of that there wasn't a place that I was looking in one direction, he was looking in another. We both looking in the same place. And he asked me to come and work in a lecturer. And the one of the f- I remember somebody saying, who came to see a lecturer, there's very little movement in this. <laughs> 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 and I said, yes. Uh, that wasn't my role. It's, what was wonderful about what one, what one person said was actually, he said, I remember seeing, seeing the chorus of people, of which there were only three. And one, one time, they'd be over there, and then the next time I looked or blinked, that person had somehow got over to there, and I never saw that happen. So there was practically no movement at all in the show, and I said, that's movement. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's I w- present,
2: but it's absent at the same time.
3: It's actually just about communicating stories, the thing we all do. And my responsibility was to help and enable David to tell that story. And I work with the actors very closely, and um, working with their bodies, and particularly getting a sense of their relationship with the earth, and and I think that's essential. Whatever we do in whatever you know, medium, that the actors have a relationship with the ground. From the ground, they get their energy, and so we spent lots of time playing with our bodies, using our bodies in a sense to get in contact with the earth. Therefore, we get in contact with our voices and. So in a sense, it's a way of just accessing an actor's body. Because very often, actors can have great access up here and lose a sense of what this is and the power of this. And um, that's something I strive to do.
2: How, how does that shift, then, from when you shift from a, a production that's a, a play – and you've, you're also a, an experienced director, you, you've directed – plays. You directed musicals, as well?
3: I directed musicals and plays.
2: um, And uh, how does that shift, then, when you move into musicals, say, for the current production of
3: Nine, which you're the choreographer? There's no shift at all, really. I come from exactly the same place if I choreograph dance, as if I do movement in a play. It's about actors communicating character and story. Um, I have no dance background, myself. I'm not a dancer. I never trained as a dancer. I fell into being a choreographer completely by accident. And so my, my root is as an actor. I started my life as an actor. And that's my understanding, is an actor's understanding. And an understanding of rhythm on stage. And not only rhythm in terms of choreographic rhythm, musical rhythm, in terms of pictorial rhythm as well. How the relationship between that actor over there and the rhythm between this actor down here actually communicates story.
2: That's fascinating because Joey McNeely, of course, <laughs> was a dancer <laughs> before he became a choreographer. And I think your first uh, choreographic work on Broadway was Smokey Joe's Cafe, is correct. that correct? correct? And you're the current yeah. choreographer for The Boy from Oz. Yes. Now, that's, this is sort of interesting. I'd kind of like to engage a, never a dialogue heard
4: that. here. I have a little bored of choreographer has never. I was never, a dancer. I mean, I, I find it never, fascinating. I never never had, asp- <laughs> had no aspiration at all <laughs> to be a choreographer. <laughs> I was an actor.
3: I was very happy being an actor. But just
4: the process of getting choreographic work from that perspective is um, quite different. And I find that because you don't think like a dancer, you think like an actor. But you have to translate it into a Physical movement, mm, which is a little dances. opposite than from as a dancer. Yeah. I'm a dancer and I need to try to figure out the movement through an actor's perspective. Uh-huh. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a flip side of working.
5: I have a question. Mm-hmm. When you say that the body gets its energy from the earth, can you expand on that a little bit?
3: That actually… Or
5: is that just it? <laughs> 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 or is, is that specific uh, to Electra? I think that's specific to, to all actors. Okay. Yeah.
3: To all actors that actually. You, you, cut your, you can cut yourself off from your power source, and your power source is actually this thing here. This thing that gives us breath. If you, if you lower your sense of gravity, the whole, even just very technically, if your diaphragm drops, you have more breath, you have more power. The power of an actor comes from his breath. You know, to communicate, that is the power of his source. And
0: ultimately, that ultimately comes from the Earth. And... <laughs> Um, I was working on a, on a show this summer with some people who were not um, trained as actors, uh, and they thought, well, how do I do it? What am I, how am I acting? And we said, well, I said, first of all, you have no bad habits to break, so you're an advantage. <laughs> 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 but then – and it wasn't thinking of what uh, Jonathan was saying, but um, it not ta- I was talking about this, this piece of territory is your territory. No one's gonna. Once they realized they weren't standing on a stage, where were they standing? And they had to own this space, what it meant. They, they were Native Americans, and so they had a lot of reference towards mm-hmm. holding your ground, what ground meant, what it meant. And it was really a psychological aspect, and you could just see the difference. They just – if you took a photograph, you might not notice it. But suddenly being empowered that this is my ground, and now I have a relationship to this, it was a completely different thing. And the other actors, who were trained actors, looked at them and, and just were stunned. They said, several of them said, I just learned more about acting, because they just did it like that. They said, ah! Mm-hmm. And then, you couldn't move them. And
2: what and was, was this pr- production that you were working It was, it was
0: a, a, a musical, uh, based on, on Lewis and Clark, using oh, a lot of Native yes, Americans. Yes, yes. So, but, it was, but it was making movement meaningful so that it represents mm-hmm. something. You don't just cross the stage. Mm-hmm. Why do you do it? And I, th- and I think later we'll go on to it. But in my, my awe of what uh, uh, Jonathan did with David is, is exactly that. It is just a continuation of a story, always, by different means. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and uh, mm-hmm. i been a very fortunate writer to have worked with Jonathan and David. Well, that's it's when the lines are crossed. You don't see the choreographer. You don't see the
4: director. They just melt. It's all which mm-hmm. makes it the best one best, thing. best the
2: conversation mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. the director and the choreographer yeah. is sort of seen played out on the stage, mm-hmm. as it were. Mm-hmm. Susan, mm-hmm. you were starting to say something. Uh, I
6: was just going to say that, that it's very interesting because um, I was actually trained as a dancer. Um, when I started out, and until I found out, I had no talent at all, <laughs> <laughs> which was shocking to me, I have to say. I was crushed. But um, luckily, I had a role model in Vinette uh, Carroll at the time. But um, I, I always have felt – because I trained, I feel f- with my body first and th- with my head second, always. My, my instincts are always movement mm-hmm. first. And um, that has never changed, even though I've, you know, long ago hung up the toe shoes. Um, and I also find it very interesting that there are people who were born with a kinesthetic sense of their body in space and where they're – as Jonathan says, where they're power sources, mm-hmm. and there are people who have no idea about their body in space. They, they, they're like ping-pong balls, you know? They, go, they kind of bounce off things, scenery and other actors and things like that, and, uh, and I find that um, very often I will use a choreographer that I'm working with, and, and say, take that person into a room and just kind of play, just kind of get them used to, you know, feeling how f- just simple things like right. how far they are from another person. You-, you know, the actor who comes right up to somebody like this <laughs> constantly, you know, <laughs> <and so laughs> their face, and you always want to go, no, 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 you don't need to be that close. They'll, you know, they'll what's feel the communication. What's
4: finding through. their language, which I find yes. is each person. You got to change your language to communicate mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. From Absolutely. an actor, from a dancer, yeah. from someone, because you know a lot of times there are actors who they see dance and they freeze up. And you have to figure out how can I get them to communicate, to move with their bodies and communicate like right. an acting. Sometimes you go from an acting perspective or from an emotional perspective, or like you say, you get in touch with the earth or something. They need. Uh, and that's a challenge. You I, f- know, I find with it's always groups.
6: the objective, though. Th- I know there are people who are frightened of movement, yeah. just like there are uh, some singers who are frightened of a certain high note. You know, and it's, I always say it's never about the note. It's not mm-hmm. the note. It's the note is there because it's an emotion. It's an you know, yeah. objective. No. It's an image. Think about that. Don't think about the note. And the same thing I think is true with movement. Don't think about the step.
4: Right.
6: Think about why you want to get there. And, you know, well, what, what I find, find,
4: what I, I have a kind of a question for the playwrights though. <laughs> Because after just working with uh, Martin on The Boy From Oz, he was able to get inside of a character's emotional state and feeling and then present that. And I find, you know, I have to take – and same thing with directors, you have to take your cue off of what the playwright has written. You know, they write – all the lines are right there and they say everything that the thing needs to say and you need to translate that. How do you find those voices and those unique voices of each character? Because I try to find their unique physicality within the character, but usually I- I'm already taking it off the page.
2: So, and Teresa Rebeck, that's actually a question that I had for you. I mean, how do these voices? How do these voices come to you? How does this process develop? <laughs> um,
5: that's uh, I, that's what I found interesting about that that notion of their, your power coming from the earth, because I actually. I'm going to digress into some hippy-dippy <laughs> chakra talk. Um, <laughs> That's okay. That, that this, uh, I hope we can take it. it's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, uh, as th- you know, uh, like somebody I met told me this. This, uh, you know, and I'm always sort of curious. I'm, c- you know, you're right, or You're curious about everything. And uh, this woman I know w- told me that there was this thing to do where you plant your feet on the earth and that and and do a breathing exercise so you could clear out your chakras. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, which I. I do sometimes, and, and I feel better. You know, I, I so uh, I feel it's like it's a better. yoga aesthetic. Yes, you know. it sure is. <laughs> and, um, but uh, uh, to get back to the question, it, which al- always feels to me like you have to center yourself deep inside the, the the. the the body of the character so that the words can rise out of that. I mean, I know that this is sort of ima- – you know, because sometimes I go, well, where do they come from? I don't know. Sometimes I'm lying there and I'll see someone in an orange sweater and think, oh, a person in an orange sweater, her name might be that – you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. It's sort of uh, the, the mystery of uh, of where ideas come from. But um, you know, I, I, this play I just worked on with, uh, that I wrote with a friend of mine, Alexandra Gersten vasilaros um, we, it, it's Omnium Gatherum. It's got eight <laughs> people in it, and they're involved in a very complicated argument. And the more we worked on the play, the more it became just utter. It was the same lesson you learned again and again, utterly clear that what the play was about was sort of the deep emotional centers of all those people, not the arguments at all. And that when the play is flying, it's because you're invested in what everybody is invested in. And that even – you know, there's one character who's a very highly educated and kind of um, provocateur Brit who uh, likes to really – who's very dazzling with his language and his ideas. But, you know, I finally went, he's showing off. That's, you know, like, there's a deep need in him to show off. It's not about what he's saying. It's about the fact that, he loves to show off, and that it was, again, just another lesson of, you, 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 you have to ground yourself inside these people, and then let the language rise out of that, that But let me ask you, because speech.
4: I'm always fascinated by creating from blank pages, because we do that mm-hmm. as choreographers, you know, you know, and you do that as playwrights. Do you go in with a preconceived notion of where you're going to go? Or you just say, I got these people, I got these ideas, and let's just find out, and then the theme rises? Or do you go in with the theme first? Because I find that's always a challenge mm. for me as a choreographer, you know? And also, like, directing stuff or trying to create new materials, you know? Are, you, are you saying that
2: you feel, as a choreographer, you need to work from theme Well, it's work it's work uh, from story? Well, there's
4: different processes. What I'm curious about is when you're going from scratch. I want to create an entity. I'm looking for as an artist, and I'm speaking strictly from an artist's perspective. You know, we go in with creative energy and we walk into the space and we go, "Okay, let's just." I'm feeling this, and this emerges, and it becomes this sculpture. Or do you go and go? I want to do a theme about love, I or a theme about that. power, or something I like never that. I do that. That's what I'm <laughs> I curious yeah, about how do, I, how do I
5: am always sort of fascinated by conflict or situation with people I'm interested in, and then. And I work it through until that sort of what I would call the deeper subject emerges. Which is, just emerges it out em- of it. Yeah, okay. it, it emerges.
2: Th- does it become for you, Teresa, about the, the story, uh, the story you're telling me? I, I'm thinking through your plays, you know, Spike Heels, the story of this sort of class conflict and racial issues, and, uh, uh, well, class and racial issues are, are really. Much, very much at play in that play, and in a number of your plays, there's a, a good deal of conflict between gender. You know, there's, there are mm. gender issues. Now, are there stories <laughs> that come to you, th- or the character? Because you're saying that you, you think of this woman in an orange sweater, mm. d- or, or is it these characters that come to you and a story begins to emerge? How, is that how part of how the
1: process um, works? You know, well,
5: I have to say, I suspect <coughs> it's d- I, It feels very different for me for every project. I don't know what o- I think I'd be interested in. Here. I mean. Uh, there was one, one – you know, I worked in Hollywood for a while on a sitcom, and it was one of the most psychotic experiences <laughs> of my life. I mean, I was sort of like – I didn't know what I was getting into at all! And, uh, and I, I would go home, and I wouldn't be able to get out of bed in the morning, and I, I would sit in a room, like, terrified, and all these – and I kept thinking, I know there's a play here. This is just too strange a world for there not to be a play here. And then there was one day when <laughs> I was driving down the street in this little old used car I had, and, uh, and I thought, I was like, Lear, King Lear. You know, and I, it's sort of like all of a sudden it all like, it was like all about power, and you know, that the executive producer was this sort of demented. A monarch who was losing power and okay, he was name surrounded. Names. No, no. no, 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 no. <laughs> you can pretty much insert numbers, <laughs> um, but and he was surrounded by the you know yes men, and then there was a you know a younger guy cl- climbing up you know, and I thought, oh, this is this, and so for me that clarified how to write that play, which I then did. Um, that was the family was of man. That was the family of man. Right. Um, but, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Spike Heel started because I was living in a very bad neighborhood, and I heard these kids out on the street, and uh, this is on television, so I can't use the language, but they were all like – they were just screaming obscenities at each other, and there was a real music to it and a real rage, and it was like a completely different language. And I thought, if you were going to do Pygmalion today, that's the language that, the <coughs> you know, that you would have to mm-hmm. change. And so that was, that was how that one started, but I, I, I do feel like – so I guess I feel like they start.
4: But all it's funny, because you've person. used a lot yeah. of classical references. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in – I have no back history background of theatre or anything like that. Mm-hmm. As like a dancer, oh, I get a job and it moves on. And not to go to college and <laughs> study all these classical, you know, pieces of plays. And it's funny how you, you, you well, go you know back to yeah. themes yeah. of Because the, all right. the great themes have already been done. They're layered, the, you know, right. in Shakespeare and, and the Greek tragedies and everything. And I find.
1: Th- well, is that mean, a maybe reference? For me, is what that a great I'm reference? For,
5: that's not a. It's not a conscious choice. I think what I look for in a story is something that's got stakes. That's got real, real. You know, uh, I mean, you know, one thing when I teach, one, the one of the plays I use as an example to my students is the piano lesson. Mm-hmm. Because you've got that piano in the middle of the play, and you've got mm-hmm. Boy Willie going, I'm going to sell that piano. And you've got Bernice going, you are not selling that piano, Conflict, and they both yeah, have right. beautiful reasons. Mm-hmm. And you can't take your eyes off it, you know. But mm-hmm. And so I'm always looking for a story that is going to fill the stage. I mean, I actually I said to some students one time, you know, you're just going to ruin your life to be a playwright. So, make it worth it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Talk about making your
5: life <laughs> in the the theater, theater right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you,
6: you need to be personally engaged. I mean, in whatever it is, I can't, you've got to find something in the material I find that moves you or enrages you or sets you into some orbit. Otherwise, I think it's. Just work. It's you know. Mm-hmm. It's just washing dishes, and I think um, not that you can't be creative about washing dishes. I suppose, but um, I think unless you make it personal on some level, and I think it mm-hmm. never lives and mm-hmm. it never breathes. For me, th- sometimes it comes down to. Um, I've had a conversation with more than one producer over a casting issue, and they'll go, but why this one and not that one? And I said, I cannot tell you, except this person yeah. interests me. This person perks my imagination. This person makes me want to look at them. That's it. I don't even think it's a question of talent. It's mm-hmm. a question of I have stakes in that person, for whatever those ephemeral reasons are. And I think we all deal in a Ephemeral issues. I mean, a play exists for the time it is being performed. Mm-hmm. It is never alive till it is being performed. You can read it, and it can be a wonderful <laughs> experience. But until it's on stage, and then that experience is gone. So I think until you yourself, as a creator, find something that moves you in some way, um, I don't think you can create. And that's what I, you know, I always look for. What is at the center of the piece? I can't direct theme. You mm-hmm. know, I can't. Direct message, so I can only direct emotion, a conflict. I can only direct I want, she wants, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. But what is it about it that moves me? Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to focus on, because I figure if somebody asked me to do it for a reason. They didn't ask someone else to do it, and right. so that what they're after is you know my feeling and what I uh, uh, when I had done Sweeney Todd. I remember calling Steve Sondheim and saying, OK, tell me, and he said, YOU TELL ME! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> YOU KNOW, WE HAD OUR CHANCE, YOU TELL right. ME! WHAT I'M AFTER IS WHAT YOU SEE IN mm-hmm. IT, WHAT'S DIFFERENT ABOUT THE WAY YOU WANT TO DO it, THAT'S WHAT I'M INTERESTED IN. AND I THOUGHT, OH!
4: BUT YOU NEED PIECES THAT HAVE THAT,
6: WHICH <laughs> I FIND IS d- ALWAYS A
4: CHALLENGE, BECAUSE WE'RE NOT AT THE GENESIS OF THE MATERIAL. We're usually at the.
6: Well, the, sometimes the I'm at the genesis yeah. of the material, though more often than not lately, I find that, especially in musicals, I find that the director is very close to being at the genesis mm-hmm. of the material. I think they
4: need to be, which I find is a lot of. Which at is fault. very new, though. But I think, though, the, this the, but is I think new the choreographers and, and need to be there, because I find a lot of times I, I with the last with one all. in, and they've already formed where the dances are. And I always say, why is there a dance break here? Well, be a nice, why is this person dancing? I don't understand. What's no, motivating I, them dancing? I, I completely agree with you. Time for dance! Kind of yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right. a lot of times, yeah. they feel like, you know, choreography is just for the dance and the entertainment. It was like, well, no, I can be a storyteller, too. I can be, as you say, movement. You know, there's a, m- there's a way people move within well, the now, background. Now, tell, tell us a little bit about, story-tell.
2: in the case of the boy from Oz. Uh, here you're dealing with a, a subject whom many of us remember from his performance work mm-hmm. you know, he's he's very much a part of our memories how did how did you uh, evolve your choreography in that did you did you go back to look at uh, peter allen's earlier work yeah we have done a lot of
4: research for that yeah
2: t- tell us a little bit about that well, pr- and how within that in that, that show works. i mean the nature of the choreography
4: history, was a little different because each number that had choreography was a performance number Th- those are simple you know, you're on stage i'm here to entertain it's a performance so we can you know you can um, it's usually high energy. It's usually keeping the ball up in the air, picture steps, razz-ma-dazzle, you know, all that stuff. And everything else was a book scene between two characters. So you mean? So th- there was a very clear definition of where that place is. What I find I- I'm more interested in because I'm always trying to push my boundaries a little bit is you know, from a playwright's perspective and a character's p- perspective and as a director, to try to feel like how can mm-hmm. dance and movement become right. as integral. To the storyline, as lyrics, mm-hmm. as the as the notes to the music, and I've been should working be. on West Side Story a it great deal be. over in Europe, mm-hmm. and I love it. I just I just adore that musical because it's to me it's perfection. Arthur well, all sorry. those all those elements. Is, is, well, those is movements, an, all those elements create very, the same storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's about character, the music, the lyrics, the dance movement, which I feel like you know, in theater we need to do more of that, or be open to
1: that,
2: you know, to that Arthur Kopit, who's sitting to my left here – I want to bring right. him into <laughs> the <this laughs> conversation. <laughs> and that is, uh, you, you have been uh, – you're one of the few people, I think, few playwrights who actually made a living on the Broadway stage for many years. A, a story well,
0: living, anyway? S- 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 it but no it killing. helped. But no killing, <laughs> right?
2: Uh, Temporary killings.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: killings that come and go, as it were. <laughs> and then college come and tuition go. comes along, and then mm-hmm. who knows oh, what yes. yes. Oh, yes. So how does that how that process of you, you started out as a playwright and then you became a book writer for musicals or were you always a book? Bu- how does that process work? How do those two ways of working speak to one another? That one thinks of a playwright um, toiling away
0: in a room
2: by him or herself right, writing a
0: book of a musical is no work at all. I mean it's toil it's a different kind of toil.
2: What kind of how does that how do those two speak to one another?
0: Well, they're very different. I mean, writing a play is very different from writing a uh, uh, a musical. Uh, For one, is the collaboration, and it's not your piece that's being expressed; it's a collective piece. Uh, I've always I've loved musicals. I've loved plays. They do different things. There's There's certain material that there's some material that can be a play and it can be a musical, but you have to ask yourself, well, why is this a musical and what's its Mm -hmm. What is it going to express that you couldn't express without music? Um, And then, uh, you can study it, but you've seen it. I think you have to have an instinctive sense of how a musical's story unfolds, as opposed to a play's story. There are just certain aspects. They're not rules, but there's a way. The major elements are going to be sung, or they're in music, or else why is it a musical? Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is not because the audience is there to be entertained, but because the emotion is so great that it can't be expressed only in words. If you can express it only in words, then it undercuts the need to get to something that is secret and coded. uh, And the very artifice of of the musical uh, enables it, in some ways, to be realer, because all all theater is artifice. It's all a con game, and and so you're pretending. And when you have two people speaking and uh, singing to each other, uh, you have to make the audience believe that this is actually happening in some strange place. So that once you do that, once you have earned the right to play this game, you set up certain rules, and these are never conscious. They're just they're happening, and the audience trusts you. And and because of what you can do with lights are part of it, the changing of a mood, of a tone, a changing of a light. One chord can change the whole mood. A movement somewhere, the shifting of the eye, is all part of, of storytelling. So if you're – I mean, I think everyone does it differently, but the kinds of musicals that I, I'm excited about writing, and I'm excited about seeing lots of shows that I, d- I wouldn't write. I couldn't write them well. I, I wouldn't bring something to it. but where. Um, it's, it's, doing, it, it's tapping into a different part of your, your energy than, than the writing of a play, and it means that you are feeding into the collaborative skills of a director, choreographer. They're really meshed, even costumes, mm-hmm. the set, the way it looks. You don't see it specifically, but everything is creating the story. And it's, if you stop to think, it's scary, because everything has to work, if it's on that level. If, if the characters are layered, if there, there there are themes and counter-themes, and all of that's happening, which you you don't put in consciously. I mean, thinking, I, I, I think the worst thing is to think. So therefore, you have to think about not thinking. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. have to think <laughs> yeah. in order to put yourself in a state of mind in mm-hmm. which instincts take over. But if you just let your instincts go, the instincts might be, I want to get out of here, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it, so, so this that collaboration in the beginning with your sensibility and your consciousness and your intellect, mm-hmm. and that which has nothing to do with it but is simply telling yourself a story, has to have a very fine line, because you can't edit yourself, and yet you are editing yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're watching what's good and what's not good, but yet it's not on the basis of what would the audience say. You're saying, is this honest or not? But then how do you define honest? It's a constant dialogue with yourself. And in the musical, I mean, for me, the, the high point absolutely has, has been this production of nine, because it never occurred to me that a piece of work that I was involved with could be performed, produced, on, on such a level where, where there's a thrill where you're involved with – you didn't do it yourself. It's everybody came together, mm-hmm. and everybody saw the same target. And that's always said, you all have to be doing the same show. But in this case, there was such a microscopic – um, zoning in on what it was about, that uh, for me, uh, what Jonathan talks about um, was startling because it is, is the meshing of everything together. And I know for Maury and for myself, uh, Maury, I sh- I sh- Maury more yes, than then. the composer and the lyricist. Um, when you write a play, uh, there's dialogue. But I've always felt, and I try to tell players that I'm teaching, the dialogue is the least of it. absolute least of it. Too much dependence upon talk gets you nowhere. Uh, You don't even need the talk. May I
4: ask you, what about the dialogue between the creators? How often do you guys continue to communicate and try to mesh things out? Well, you
0: communicate in different ways. Um, I have worked with directors uh, who could explain the play perfectly, and they got on the stage, and they didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with actors. can't trust what you're saying. Um, you, you, you get a feeling, and you see what somebody does, and how they're working with an actor, and – I mean, like, before that, though. Like, before we get to the rehearsal point, you know? You'd be
5: surprised how little conversation <laughs> <No>. goes on. <laughs> I
1: know. I just <laughs> you can't articulate <laughs> this. It's I
0: can't tell you. I know Edward Albee mm-hmm. saying, uh, you know, he, he's afraid that, you know, if somebody came in too soon in the process, they'd ask him what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you mean.
2: I hate it's to do this because this is when we're really getting lively here, but we need to take a short break. Okay. And Isabel Stevenson is going to tell us about the great works of the American Theater Wing.
1: Before we get back to the American Theater Wing's working the theatre seminar on playwright, director, choreographer, I would like to remind you that these seminars are only one of the many year-round programs that the Wing undertakes. You are probably familiar with the American Theatre Wing's Tony Award, given for achievement of excellence in the craft of Broadway theatre. We also have an important grants program, providing aid to off and off-off Broadway theatres. We have expanded our scholarships to promising students to pursue studies in the theatre arts. And we offer a comprehensive guide to careers in the theatre, those seriously interested in entering the profession. As a long established charity dating back from World War I and World War II, and our famous stage door canteens, all of our programs are designed to reward and promote excellence in the theatre. We just love to introduce young people and their families to theater and the magic it unfolds. We take pride in the work we do, remain grateful to our members and everyone else whose contributions help make possible the dynamic programs of the American Theatre Wing. Our work is so important to the theater and the community. We are proud to be a part of this exciting industry. And so now, let's return to our panel on playwright, director choreographer, and our moderator, Jeffrey Eric Jenkins. Jeffrey?
0: Thank you, Isabel.
2: Well, we're joined as we return by Moises Kaufman, the talented director of I Am My Own Wife, which played uh, successfully at the Playwrights Horizons Theatre and is on its way to Broadway. And uh, in in your as we went away to our break, we were talking about the collaborative process. We were talking about how the collaborative process evolves in the musical theater. And um, I'm I'm you know, I know most Moisés that you are uh, well known for your work in collaboration. Your plays, um, Gross Indecency, The Three Trials of Oscar Wilde, um, and of course the Laramie Project, which was the story of uh, the death of Matthew Shepard and how it affected an entire community, and, and, and I think probably how it affected an entire nation. How do you work in these kinds of collaborations? How do you build a community when you're working with actors and that sort of thing? We'd like to bring you into this conversation with us.
7: Well, <clears throat> I think it's rather different. The, m- the model by which we, Tectonic Theatre Project, as a company, creates work is very different, for example, than when I direct I Am My Own Wife. I Am My Own Wife is not a production of Tectonic Theater Project. Uh, It's a production that I was brought in to direct uh, with my dear friend Doug Wright. Um, So that is a very different model than the models we use within the theater company. Uh, In the theater company, we're very interested in thinking about how the work gets made. I think that the most common model in American theater is that a writer goes into a room writes a play, and then she or he comes out of that room, gives the play to the director. The director goes into another room. Uh, many times, the writer and director <laughs> is excluded from that second room. Uh, and four weeks later, you have a production. Um, I'm exaggerating to make a point. And, but that's, that's kind of a model that we know very well. And to me, that, that model is very profitable sometimes and very uh, fruitful sometimes. But it's problematic that it is one of the only models Mm -hmm. that we're working with. Um, So I think that one of the things that we question at the theatre company is what are the ways in which theatre can be made? Mm -hmm. Uh, For Gross Indecency, we got into a room with all of the sources about the trials of Oscar Wilde, and out of that emerged this play. Uh, For the Laramie Project, we, as a theatre company, went to Laramie, interviewed the people of the town of Laramie for a year, came back and wrote the play as a company that ended up being the Laramie Mm -hmm. project. So in in our work, we're very interested in questions about collaboration. Um, I think that we're very invested in having the director direct, and the actor act, and the writer write, and the designer's design, and these are all very, very punctual jobs. Um, And I think that that separation in the jobs is very necessary. To have the, the form I described before work. You know, a writer writes a play and then they come into a room, everybody knows exactly what their, this, what their specialization is, and they do just that. Um, I think, for example, in the Laramie project, the actors became interviewers. And then when they were looking through the material, they became transcribers. And then when they were choosing the material they wanted to show the rest of the company, they became editors. And then when they presented the material in front of the company, they became actor directors. So there's a way in which I am interested in kind of a, a renaissance idea of a theatre person, mm-hmm. uh, a theatre artist. And is there something to be gained by having each one of the collaborators know a lot about the fields that everybody else is involved in? I mean, I think that creates for a very rich environment. Uh, and there's a lot of fights. <laughs> 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 but, it's, but it's a very nurturing, exciting, yeah. Um, and that was very different from working in I Am My Own Wife. Uh, you know, I'm my own wife, Douglas brought me in early enough on in the process that we were developing it together, in a way. Um, and because it was only one actor, that there was a connection that was made from early on that, that really persisted. But I don't
2: know, I like theatre th- people. These are, and these pieces all have in common, it seems to me, a kind of uh, what Emily Mann has called the theatre of testimony, that are based on sources and then sort of fleshing that source out. And giving it a, a kind of a humanity, bringing it to life, giving it breath, that sort of thing.
7: Yes, I think there's an element to that. I think that the, the difference between these pieces and, and the work of Emily is that, you know, this is all com- always comes as a shock, but I think that the documentary aspect of it is almost a side aspect of it. The important thing for me is to, to think about forms, about theatrical forms. And why is it that we're still stuck in realism and naturalism? which are nineteenth-century ce- forms. Where are the new forms of writing, of, you know? And I think that that's more the focus. So it's not so much <coughs> a theatre of testimony, but a kind of formalistic question. Yeah. May I ask you, do
4: you find like people are open to the new forms of theatre? Because I find there's a certain resistance. Everyone, they're so comfortable in what worked in the past, and they just want to do that. And I've, I find it's difficult, as a new generation, mm-hmm. as a theatre creative, to try to Find the new voices because everyone wants to keep going in the past wave.
7: Well, my, my answer to that is very uh, is very subjective because both <laughs> Gross and Decency and Laramie project have been very well received. Mm-hmm. So, in my experience, I think there is a a great hunger for new forms. People. I think that the, the, the success or the resonance of the plays has been, yes, because of the subject matter, but also because people are saying, oh, you know, I never knew the theatre could do this, or could behave yeah. that way, or I could be, you know. Wh- the question is, what is the thing that can happen on the theatre that doesn't happen in film and television?
6: Okay,
5: except but I have to say something right now. <laughs> I actually have to defend uh, realism and naturalism in the theatre, because I think that television and film does it badly. I mean, I think one of the reasons that people respond to it is because it's so thinned out in, in film and, and television, and so corrupted by by you know layers of bureaucrats who just want to bleed bleed all sort of sense and meaning and and uh, examination of psychology. I mean, there are many things that realism does beautifully that can only be done beautifully on the stage. So I think that uh, I think that uh, there's that sort of. Necessary embrace of form and content that there are certain stories that must be told Mm -hmm. in that mode. You know that that breaking it open uh, or or. Or just doing experiments on on certain stories for no good reason, will we'll just end up with bad theater, which also sometimes helps. I
7: think I think mm. that you know it's not that I'm. Vocab- somebody said the other day, right. Oh, so you think that there shouldn't be no more realistic or naturalistic place? And that's well, not what I mean at all. I think
5: that?
2: Though, yes,
7: but right, right, I don't. Right, right. I think that that you Yay. know it's a form that does.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
7: <laughs> I think it's a form that does certain things that can be done very bu- very beautifully. But I worry that right now, in our current stages, 90 percent of the work one sees is realism or naturalism. Mm-hmm. I think that it is, you know, overwhelmingly realism and naturalism. And as I say, I don't, I don't think that – I mean, I think there's room for that, I but I where is the questioning of, of you
0: know? – all
2: right,
6: go uh, ahead. Can, can, no, oh, Susan? No, I could I say I, I actually agree, and I find it even to be that way in musical theatre. I think that uh, they've gotten so literal. And uh, it's, it for me, it drives me crazy, because I think the very nature of a musical is non-literal. Exactly. And to then put it in a literal context, I think if you have these two things fighting against each other, and so often they do not work, um, I think you can find um, much more expressionistic ways of presenting that story. Um, I think, as author had said earlier, once people start singing, you're not in a real or a natural world mm. anyway. Yeah. Or they're going dance to communicate. You're not in a real and natural world. <coughs> so how can you expand the milieu that you've put these characters in s- and still get honest emotion across? And
7: I felt your production <laughs> of Sweeney Todd did that so beautifully. I okay. really, I was, I was so oh. blown away by that, because it was that perfect moment where it was ele- the whole thing was elevated to a place where it really worked. Mm-hmm.
6: Thank you.
3: But those, those words, realism and naturalism, are very confusing words anyway. Yes. In that, mm-hmm. you know, we're all yeah. sat here, this, we've got an audience sat here mm-hmm. being very real and very mm-hmm. natural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would we want to sit and watch them all evening as they kind of just sit there? No, we wouldn't. <laughs> right. You know, right. What, 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 right. what, w- what w- we, we <laughs> do. I
7: would
3: watch you. <laughs> but actually, after a while, we'd actually get very interested in that because it would become heightened. By mm-hmm. very na- very natural fact that we we as an yeah. audience are now observing you, right. it becomes heightened. Therefore, it doesn't become real again. We so becomes as observed as, you become,
2: as soon as you know you have a spectator. You become right, and let's face it, it, we all perform right. uh, all the time. We're mm-hmm. performing now. We perform at home in a certain way. It's a different kind of mask well, that we well, wear. We're, we're, we're all
6: natural it. storytellers. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon as you start, you start telling someone an, an event that happened. How often are you telling it? Are you reporting it? Mm-hmm. Aren't you? instinctively adding things embellishing coloring just by what you choose to leave out what you choose to put in what you how you your emotion colors that event i mean i think that i think you're absolutely right i think n- there is no true naturalism no true realism that exists once something is on stage i think it's all heightened and it's yeah. all specific. I, I mean, I yeah. just
5: I go, oh come on, Chekhov was a genius. So beautiful what he did. You but know, you can't. Well, one of the you be- you problems know,
2: is, is something that you, you've mentioned. Well, like, sorry. Oh, it, right. What has to do with, it? Has to do with this notion of, of television and film, which have sort of deracinated mm-hmm. the they theatrical started. expression.
1: Yeah. And, well, may I also say that's so what the audiences
4: now have been trained. They're not trained mm-hmm. to think anymore. Right. They like, they can only digest the simplest forms, you know? And when you can push the envelope a little bit, they go, oh, wow! You know? But it's like, the majority of the audiences don't want that. They're not responding – But this I don't question is being true, asked for
6: – I think that's sorry.
3: <laughs> no, I just you know, saying, this, this. question has yeah. been asked for, yeah. for, for forever.
6: Yeah,
1: You
3: know, yeah. I, if you go back to Chekhov, you, you have Konstantin mm-hmm. in the Siegel saying, yes. "We need new forms. <laughs> <Yes>. Something <laughs> else <laughs> is <laughs> going <laughs> to happen," <laughs> and he's terrible. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you no, <know, Right>. his <laughs>
3: new <laughs> forms are <laughs> useless <laughs> and, and terrible. <laughs> but it Ar- saying, th- saying th- that's th- what we need. That's Arthur, the argument. Trying to get in here for a second.
0: And it's been building up. I think I agree and disagree with everything here. First, I don't think there's any realistic theatre in the sense that I don't, I don't agree that there's realism and naturalism. It was a, it's it's, it's a, like all catchphrases, it leads you astray. Mm-hmm. All good acting is real. And I think that it is real because, and it was just in, in Moscow, they, their actors are extraordinary, and they're able to do things that we can't do here because they work for four months, five months, six months on a play mm-hmm. with directors who are used to that. And one of the things that Moises has is he has a company and he works with, and, and, and our theatre is set up l- and very much because of financial problems that are put on by u- actors' unions, and I understand that. But it really inhibits the development of, yeah. of not new forms mm-hmm. for new forms. What I love about all the productions of yours that I've seen, and they're, they're fantastic, uh, is it's not new forms. It is ways of telling a story. There's com- there is no self-indulgence. It is all focused. It is all real. And the audience connects, and an audience understands it immediately. There's no resistance, because they see what it's about. But you can't do that in three weeks' rehearsal, four weeks, five weeks, with a completely new cast. They know the vocabulary. You know who they are. They work in a shorthand. Most plays that are rehearsed here in the first five weeks or the first three weeks are just getting to know who the cast is. Mm -hmm. They don't begin rehearsal until the third or fourth week, and then it's time for tech. You can't do anything. Mm. And the commercial money comes in, because it's so expensive to produce a play, the producer wants to know what they're going to get. When you start with a company that has built up rapport and a vocabulary, and the kind of collaboration that should exist in great theatre, nothing new, it is the es- essence of theatre. Let's, we need to do something, and they all believe in this, and they're going to find what the show is supposed to be. And there's no deadline saying, you've got to do it in two weeks. They'll do something, and then they'll do something, and they develop it until it takes its right form. There's no resistance from an audience. They haven't seen it, and they can't see it, because the way the theatre is set up financially, it can't be done. Yeah. You can't get the best actors out of actors' equity to work in that form, because the union will stop them. And they'll say you're taking advantage of the actors, which is nonsense. Mm-hmm. Not only are you not taking advantage of those actors, you're allowing those actors to flourish and grow and be seen. Be and it's yeah. And it's mm-hmm. terrible. It has to be admitted. It isn't that actors should be taken advantage of, but actors who are great actors, who are members of Equity, would love to be able to do something that stretches them and pushes them, and then they can go and make their money. They are being seen as well as writers and directors. So that's one of the great problems, is the union situation mm. to set up against that.
1: The theater, sense like a laboratory, I mean, you put yeah. up a, s-
0: a play that's supposedly in a, in, a, in a real room, that's phony. It's not in a real room. We're pretending to be real. The audience <laughs> knows they're not real. Mm. This is a convention, an artifice. It's all pretending. And when it's great, we believe the pretending, like a little kid. And you say, hey, I'm, I'm dying. You know he's not dying. That's not real. In a real play, it was realism. you would die. You know, nobody wants that. So it's all a convention that is used that the audience understands. But it's an easier convention. When you start to break those conventions, you don't have a ready template. So you have to find the new template, and you don't know if you'll get it the next day because you're working to mm-hmm. find what is real and what is the mm-hmm. real emotion that expresses the emotion that's what in there. What is t-
2: honest? Maybe it's better than real, even, isn't it? What is true? Yes. Sorry. What is I true? Was, I and and, and, even and even so you, ha-
0: you you can't define it with words. So it takes time, and so. We would love to all be working there, I think, ideally. But even in a school, you can't teach this. You have to go and you have dedicated and very gifted Mm -hmm. people who have a vision and they do it, and then maybe all the groups that create theatre will realize that for the theatre to flourish, it needs to make this available to other artists who want to do something that breaks the form, not for the sake of breaking the form, but to get at something that Mm -hmm. that is fresh and startling and true to the human experience.
2: Well, it's certainly, it's <laughs> certainly, uh, it is certainly true, though, and it, I certainly understand Moises's um, frustration with the resistance that there is. There does, there is a certain amount of resistance. I don't think it comes from the audience necessarily, mm-hmm. but, but I think it is coming from somewhere, and I think maybe it's coming from the folks who rely on um, profits from shows to be able to invest in other shows, and I don't want to vilify. Producers. I'm not in that business mm-hmm. of vilifying producers. But those pressures, those commercial pressures, often ha- carry a lot of weight. And I was thinking, actually, uh, when Moises was talking about your production of Sweeney Todd, and I'm thinking also of the Sound of Music revival that you did, I'm wondering, when you're working, Susan, on those, um, those kinds of projects, on a revival, are there expectations from the producers? to replicate something that's come before, or,
6: you know, could you? These were two very different situations. Okay. Um, Sweeney Todd started at the York Theatre, where, um, you know, it was, a, um, it, it was a v- very much the situation that um, we were talking about, where you could really work for longer periods of time, where people could collaborate with each other. It was very low-keyed. There was no budget. Um, there was no uh, problem with expectation. There had already been a wonderful production of Sweeney Todd not ten years earlier. That so the show was a proven entity. It was a masterpiece. Um, why I was doing it, I was out of my mind, obviously. <laughs> um, but you know, I thought, when else am I going to get a chance to do this show? So I'll do it on a basketball court, which is what we had at the York Theater. Yes. And you know, sometimes <laughs> when exactly you have this. nothing. Huh, it really. It, uh, it, I, I tell you, adversity really does, does help sometimes. And, um, and the shape of the basketball court and the, the closeness w- w- uh, within oh. it, this environment, so that we had to be sort of on top of each other in many ways, caused a heat that uh, I think I was able to then translate uh, to the show. And um, also, it, ca- it, it created a kind of strange humor that it became very darkly, very funny, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that it had – I don't know if that was the original – I mean, Steve said it was, but, you know, it, 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 it evolved in a way that's <laughs> frightened me, actually, because I sort of lost – control. It took over, mm-hmm. in a way. I, I don't mean lost directorial Understand control, you. but a sure. vision control. Sure. It took over, and I said, okay, that's great. Let it go. Mm-hmm. Let me see how far this goes. I'm at the New York Theatre. I'm at the Church of the Heavenly Rest. Who cares? You know? Yeah. There were no stakes. There was no <laughs> money in it. It didn't matter. You know, until the night that Steve came back from Oxford and said, okay, where do you want me to sit? And I went, oh, my God! The creator is here. <laughs> He's gonna kill me, you know. And I think now, okay. Well, he doesn't like it. It doesn't have to do anything. It doesn't have to go anywhere. It's fine. And uh, you know, he sat down next to me, took one hundred fifty thousand notes, and I thought my life is over. <laughs> um, and it, it, but the end of what she said, this is swell. This is really swell. And of course, you know, to, for me to please the writer is <laughs> is everything. Um, I think if you can, in some way. Make that vision alive. I think you, that's what you're here for. But um, then, by it, so it started that way, and then it moved to Broadway because it got well so viewed. It, exactly, so it went up process. stages. Exactly. So it went up stages. Then it took on. And then, of course, when it was moving, I became very, um, uh, very careful that it moved into an environment that would allow <coughs> it to sustain what we had discovered by doing it on a basketball court. So, basically, we found a little bigger basketball court, Mm -hmm. you know, uptown uh, kind of thing. But there were commercial producers who wanted to move it into a proscenium house. And I said, Mm -hmm. no, you know. So that wasn't going to work. Sound of Music started out as a purely um, commercial venture, in that um, I was called, I was asked if I wanted to do a revival of Sound of Music, and the first question out of my mouth was, what do you mean by a revival of the sound of music? <laughs>
1: uh, I said, Do
6: you mean the sound of music as it's always been done, or do you mean take a new look at the sound of music? Um, and of course, they said, Oh no, no, no! Of course, a new look at sound of music. Said, you know, do with it what you do with Sweeney Todd. I went
2: completely <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> night <not in> <laughs> and day. I don't
6: know. Just a um,
2: basketball court and let it run away with this anime. right?
6: But uh, also, I was dealing with Sweeney Todd. I was dealing with a live author. And that was a different collaborative situation. Here, I was dealing with relatives of dead people mm-hmm. who, yeah. you know, in some aspects were wonderful, in some aspects were very protective. So you were allowed to do only so much, and then you couldn't do other things. And, and now, even what I did, I'm allowed to do, but no one else is allowed to do. So it's, v- it's very difficult when you're dealing with a very established mm-hmm. piece like that, and the authors are not alive. I'm always. I always feel that if the authors were alive, like with Fiddler on the Roof, because Jerome Robbins is gone, I think it's more difficult to do it. Well, Joe Stein. Because still with people so. are mm. trying to hold and on. Jay and right, j- and right, Jay Balkin Right. And And yeah, no, the, but but it's so much Robbins production that to get a whole new breath on that. I think is is going to be a challenge.
2: And, and that actually takes me right into the yes. next thing. Jonathan, is that uh, how is that operating in, in bringing this revival uh, along of Fiddler on the Roof?
3: It will be a completely new production. Um, and this is a production that is kind of at the heart of New York in lots of senses. Yes. It has mm-hmm. a great mm-hmm. attachment to the people of New York. And there's this kind of idea we are going to do a new production. Does that mean we're going to pull um, Fiddler on the Roof into a new territory? No, we're going to do Fiddler on the Roof. Right. We're going to tell that story. Um, and we have three living writers, you know, whose combined age is about 245, <laughs> <laughs> but they're live kicking and very, very excited. Right. And then there is the legacy of the man, the genius, who directed the original production and choreographed the original collection. Um, there is an estate who is there to protect what he did. And I have the responsibility of recreating the dance choreography for that p- this new production. Um, it is completely different. And in es- in the p- space that we've created this production is very different from the space that was created in 1964. Um, because our audience is very different. Uh, the theatre we, yeah. th- we, we work in now is very different. Um, but my responsibility is to tell that story. And I also then the responsibility of recreating someone else's choreographic work. There is no responsibility to actually take on the whole production. We are allowed and given reign to actually re-look at the piece. The three writers are very happy to re-examine the piece and work collaborative with us in rehearsal, as it was done originally. Um, I just have the responsibility of recreating the dance. Which is very very exciting because it's to take someone else's work and in essence it will be fed through me. Mm -hmm. It can only be channeled through how I hand that work over. But I think it's more than just someone else's work. It's Jerry's work. Exactly,
4: which I think is just to process that is just. It was the
3: best. Yeah,
4: Jerry was the best. With the greatest Mm -hmm. greatest respect, and and it's great mm -hmm. to be able to have that privilege. But but also
3: you have to, in essence let go of the legend as well, in yeah. order that you can actually see the work in its purest sense. Otherwise, you, you, you work from a place that actually it's at distance from you. Mm. And m- my responsibility to hand it over to dancers or to fellow actors is that I cannot have distance on it. It has to come through me. I have to channel, in essence, that man, mm. and where he was coming from. And that's going to be a challenge, because my, uh, my job is to take on that responsibility of recreating, but not in a, in a way that it's a museum piece, not in the way that it's oh, yeah. just planting something that was done that time. And he was a theatre artist, like I am, like we all are, who f- observed the moment he was in. And I have to pay respect to him and observe the moment that I'm in, in the rehearsal room with those actors. I, I have to actually take on that moment and make that moment alive. And that's what we all do. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. we well, it's very character-based, yeah. which if you can just get into the character, it all
4: makes mm-hmm. sense, yeah.
2: Well, you know, uh, we've talked a little bit about the different ways of making a life in the theatre, people who move from dance to choreography and acting to choreography and directing. I- I'm sort of interested to know, um, uh, particularly in the cases of Moises and Teresa. Uh, I know that, Moises, you've, you've uh, adapted, uh, you adapted, you in the Tectonic Theatre Project adapted Um, Laramie project into a film. And I'm wondering how that process, you know, changes. How how does the process change when you're moving from the theatre into a film project?
7: Well, I think that the main thing is that, (coughs) as it's a different medium, if we are really saying, okay, what is the thing that theatre can do that only theatre can do? And then somebody comes along and says, great, now make it into a movie. Yeah. Then the question becomes, what is the thing that film can do that only film can mm-hmm. do? And what is the thing that the medium can contribute to the telling of the story? Um, and it's interesting, because I've heard many times to this panel say, well, going at form for form's sake is a mistake. And I find that so interesting, because nobody would say, well, going at content for content's sake is a mistake. We think of form as something very divorced from and separate from the story. And I, th- I think... That's not two separate things. You know, like I think it was Samuel Beckett who said form is content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is yeah. a way in which w- the only thing that I consider a terrible mistake is to not pay attention to form. I think that as as long as you're aware of both things happening at the same time. Yeah. And you know, in Tectonic we have this exercise in which we talk about what the subject matter is or what the story is, and then we take a break and we talk about what are the forms that best express or deal with this you know, so we keep both notions up in the room. And so that was something that we really did also when we made it into a film. What is it that the camera can tell us about Laramie? What is it that the – how can the camera tell us the story of that town in the year after Matthew's mm-hmm. murder? How, how does that the camera um, tell stories?
3: Mm-hmm. I because th- I think form is, is all that we deal with. Th- that's all that mm-hmm. we deal mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. because in essence, the only responsibility we have is, is the the, two poles that are be- the energy that occurs between two poles is the unknown, is the thing we cannot control. And that's the life of it. So we can actually only control the form of it, because actually life comes from a place that actually no one understands, and we can talk about concepts and work forever. Actually what is alive on stage is a, is a mystery, mm-hmm. I feel, continually. You go and you, you see theatre and you know when is alive, and you know when theatre isn't alive. And the difference is a mystery, and we we're ritual based. You know in five minutes. You know instantly. <laughs> yeah. You know them. You know instantly.
0: Can I can I get back on the form issue? Because yes, I was the one who said it, and I still and I still believe it. Um, b- being in Russia, because the directors have so much time, and the theater is director-driven, and the writers basically don't write plays uh, on their own. They wait for a director to hire mm-hmm. them to write a play. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens that I saw were very, very many, very gifted playwrights, but um, there there was no overall. It seemed to me no overall narrative arc to the piece, and that um, the directors, very often, the pieces had dazzling theatrical moments, amazing form, but what I then discovered afterwards was that I was sensing from watching the play without understanding was that there was no story going from beginning to end. And, that, and the writer's great frustration is that they have no control whatsoever over this. And I was talking about American theater as contrasted with with uh, Russian theater. Um, and there, the the form was being used as simply a, a, an expression of a moment, but it didn't come together. Absolutely. It is the form and the content are linked together. But I know very often you get younger writers, and I teach sometimes, that they're starting out and saying, well, I think this is a comedy, and I think th-, – and they're trying to name it. And I said, mm-hmm. do not name it. Don't worry. The form will reveal itself. It's when you start to think, well, what is it? And you name it. And you say, well, it's going to be realistic. We're going to have a dance. It's going to do this. And mm-hmm. it's dead. The two are completely wedded. But if you think first. You know, I can think about form, and I'm really thinking of the form as coming in the proper direction. The two are linked. But when form for its own sake, then you get Constantine, we need new forms. We need new ways to express mm-hmm. something that is a story. So, my reply, which is the same as yours, is it's all about story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And story is told through a form, so you have to know the story, and then you allow the story to let – to guide you to what the form of it is supposed mm-hmm. to be. But it's only when – and that was this fascinating thing in, 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 in Russian theatre, where this amazing technique, but it, it, the, the directors didn't understand that there was that these images must all match together, and that there is a once-upon-a-time mm-hmm. that happens. In in theater in dance, um, so I think we're s- it's the same it's the same thing.
2: You know I'm also interested in uh, in our ter- terms of what we're thinking about process. It's about the process also of becoming an artist. You know those of us who yeah. teach always <laughs> tell our <laughs> students, and there are a fair number of students here, and there are students hopefully watching us at home. And we want to sort of address that issue. You know, how does one become an artist? It, it's a process. For me, becoming an artist is becoming a human being, and we're always becoming a human being. And that's a great thing to say. But I'm sort of interested in how. Folks got started. What kinds of of training did, did you get? What do you recommend? When Getting a again? benefactor. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a sure. benefactor is a great thing to have.
6: I'm <laughs> um, patrons. The loss of patrons is a real problem. <laughs> the Medici. <laughs> were yeah, 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 where <laughs> are
2: they? <laughs> Medi- there are modern <laughs> Medici <laughs> today. You know, that, it's true. That, I think of the Steinberg Charitable Trust, and they're. They're great right. Medicis of uh, of playwriting, in fact, in, in this country. But I, I'm wondering if, if some could just uh, like, Teresa, you've made a life in the theater by making a life in television. I mean, you're a very well-respected writer of uh, of the Law and Order dramas of. Yes, Brooklyn but you Blue, know, and I have to say, I think that this Blue. is like.
5: Perversely, the opposite of having a patron, because I, uh, (laughs) over time, I became so. I mean, because really, the difficulty. I, I, I started working in television because I needed to support my family, Um, and I felt grateful that I could do so using my talent. And also, because you're, if you're, if you're not a playwright who like hits, um, you spend a lot of time not working or just doing a reading here. That you know, and it was just. Uh, you know, that hunger to work, y- you, you can't underestimate it. And so uh, when I began doing it, it uh, and I worked on some shows that where I was really proud and challenged. NYPD Blue in, in the early seasons was a great place to work. But um, the more I did <laughs> it, the more intolerable it became, um, because there's so much interference in the organic process. There's so many – there's, you know, story, story meetings. You sit around a room with, like, fifteen people deciding what's going to happen next. You go, I want to go home! <laughs> um, um, and then the network's calling, the I this remember. calling, the that call- I mean, and there was one show that I finally worked on where I felt like I, my brain was being put through a sieve.
1: Mm. And,
5: um, and I just felt like that, that pressure, you know, wh- it, that pressure sort of pushed me into a direction where – where that became more and more intolerable. And, and sort of the, the artist erupts out of that, mm-hmm. yeah. I, th- I
2: think. How, now, what, what, sort of, what, what kind of, of training uh, have uh, – Moises, uh, now I know you uh, trained at NYU. Did you work in this kind of uh, company system there? Can you tell us a little bit about – you know, what I want folks to share is what we can tell our students, the people watching us today. How can they prepare for a life as an artist, as a theatre artist? How can they make a life in the theatre?
7: Well, I think the, the, the best way to prepare is to be in the theatre. To, you know, I, I, the first thing I did, there was a theatre uh, – I studied in Venezuela first, and there was a theatre company uh, at the university where I was studying there. And I loved their work, so I came in one day and I said, I have some time off. And for like five months, I, I, I was a f- uh, follow spot operator. Uh, and in the, in the particular show that was running at the time, the spot was only lit two and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I have to say, it was such a thrill. And I think that, 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 you know, and then I joined that theatre company and I was with them for like five years as an actor. And then I realized that I really wanted to write and direct, so I came to NYU, to the experimental theatre wing. And, uh, and the rest kind of like, th- there you really were able to find formally yeah. how to construct the kind of environment in which you wanted to work. Teresa, did you?
5: Oh, you know, I actually had one thing that I did. Uh, that I did tell my students for a while, and I think it's very true, um, that you have to prepare yourself for a, a chaotic life, that, <laughs> you know, that you have to start to understand that your life will not look like y- any- anyone, anyone else's, else. else <laughs> right. and, that, and, that, and yeah, that, yeah. that you have to just learn to tolerate that and not put expectations on yourself mm-hmm. that mirror, like, social expectations. Because mm. our absolutely. whole work
3: is the negotiation between the pragmatic and the chaotic, you know, because mm. that, that <laughs> is all mm-hmm. the time. May I think
4: the biggest word is sacrifice. To be an artist, you must sacrifice.
2: And what do you mean by that? We always, we, we always think of the artist struggling in his or her garret, you know? But well, what, I think what do you mean by sacrifice? What kind of sacrifice are you talking about?
4: Well, I think it's, um, y- you don't feel normal. I mean, as an artist, you, you feel like an, a misfit, an oddity, because you feel from the left side of your brain, and you have to function that all those – the imagination, your imagination becomes your intellect in a sense. And uh, you have to – you become a slave to that. You're married to your passion, you know what I mean? And so, I, I think true artists, everything is secondary. True artists. And I, and I had to learn – I didn't is know that I was an artist until about five years ago. Is that feeling of
2: difference? Does that have to do with just sort of the position that the arts have in American life? Is that No, I think part it's the, the position that it has inside art. of you. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Because I think mm-hmm. as an artist, you go, I feel this, I have to do this now. I have to dance. <laughs> <laughs> and, because, you know, it's like, oh, well, we have to go. Well, I can't go. I have to feel. You know what I mean? I think, and actors are v- artists. I think I th- actors are the closest thing to artists because they just, they get into this inside place and they go. And, you know, as a creators, we have to use the other side of the brain to make sense out of that artistic vibe and put it on paper or communicate it to somebody else. You know?
6: I think the people who succeed. In the theater, especially, are just not fit for anything else. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, really, I think that that's the bottom mm-hmm. line. I, you're just not gonna, you're not gonna succeed anywhere. So you might as well succeed here. You know, I, d- I always say that about myself. What when people say, well, what else would you do? And I go.
4: Mm-hmm. No, so I think you can do no, other things that like will make I, you happy, I have though. to I
6: say, also, I know th- some mm-hmm. really quite brilliant actors,
5: astonishing actors, who go for years without working, mm-hmm. or, and you know, or who turn in a, an amazing performance and then have the critics dump all over right. it. I mean, so right. that there is yeah. – and there's real – you know, but I know a lot to, of you actors who – have to not and go, and go, and go away. Right. I know, don't I, don't ma- I know. But uh, there is real uh, suffering I don't think it's a simple. You have to sacrifice. I don't think it's so simple
0: that you have to not go away. You. If it's a choice, then, then the theater is not right. I mean, the, the, the world is right. not right. It's not like you're yeah. saying, well, now yeah. for a student, um, I think maybe I should go to medical school, should I go to law school, should I become a playwright? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you don't do that. However, there's a main difference with film. You can today say, should it be a doctor or a lawyer or a screenwriter? I'm smart. I can do it. I'll be a screenwriter. Yeah. That can be a very logical decision, and they may make a lot of money. It's a completely different kind of world from a playwright, from, from an actor. If you're an actor and you say, I think I'll be an actor because I'm going to be a star, uh, you, you might be. But that's, that's not the actors no. that no. I respect. that's not that the I artists. No. It's not the directors yeah. that you respect. Okay. It's not there, – there's no choice. And there's, it's so scary being a playwright or being an actor. Uh, it's probably scary for an actor, because you can get very bad reviews in a play in which you are doing what the director said, and you know it's wrong, but you are professional, so you're out there every night, and you gave a performance that you know you shouldn't be giving, but that's what you do, and you're out there. And for a playwright, reviews can be savage. They're like, why are you doing this? Why don't they kill this person? <laughs> if this person ever shows up again, we, you know, it's how did this person – and you may have a family, or you have loved ones, and you see this, and and if if you – wither, Get out, because it'll only yeah. get worse. Mm, you have to have a a a some invulnerable <sighs> core that believes in what you're doing and says, "This is what I do," and then you're okay through through all that. Because it That's is the only way you get through it. The you have to only
4: way. Out, right? it's because the if you o- don't believe it in yourself as an artist, anything. There's so many things that pull you
0: down. And that and is that as where, suits, that's where another thing is, is, is being connected to other people who do the same mm-hmm. thing in some way. Mm-hmm. Writers Having have to community. know other writers. Having community and, and, and respecting other artists' work, being excited, thrilled by other artists' work. And, and when, when, when a fellow writer or actor is moved by your work, or an audience that you don't know, there's the juice. And the critics, when they come through, or the commercial success, is an ancillary aspect. And if you luck out, you have a big success. If you don't, you don't. But you can't live for that. You can't depend on. You can't believe that because it's successful, you're good. Other things happened, and and. Well, I think being
3: an artist has nothing to do with having success. That's right. It's just being an artist. But that word, being an artist, I, I very very personally, I have I I. I but I think, most of the time, I'm a fraud. <laughs> I well, someone is going to actually find out that actually, what I'm passionate about, what I do and I love, somebody's going to turn around and say, how did that happen? Because I feel a fraud most of the time when well,
0: I think about it. Well, that's like, why you were such a great artist. <laughs> that's how it feels. Because it's all lies. Yeah,
3: it's a lie. It's we're all lying, lie, but you concerned.
0: lie to, to – there are certain masks that hide you, and certain – and some of those masks hide you, and other masks reveal you. and and. And I think it's a great teacher's nightmare. As someone's going to say, you're a fraud. They're going to say, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, you don't know what you're talking about, but you do. And that's where this is not logical. This is where you say, there is a truth there, and that is what it's about. And somebody else says, this is nonsense. And you can't argue with
1: them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So How so do you can't exactly get into that? that. Yeah, they didn't so like it. They didn't like it.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> well,
2: Joey, what was that moment – you started to say uh, a moment ago when I interrupted you, but what, what was the, that moment when you – Discovered that you were ready. To be, you wanted to be a choreographer. Uh, that you were. A, I don't an think I had any other dance. choice.
4: You know, I was dancing. I got to dance with Jerome Robbins, uh-huh. and after dancing that, you know, Jerome Robbins' Broadway, it it satisfied so satisfied, satisfied me on so many different levels. In te- in intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, um, and I got to experience. Levels of choreography that caused me to feel and act and emote and you know change my life, and I couldn't do step ball change to the left anymore. I just mm-hmm. knew right there I can't do it. I can't do it. So I just said I needed to choreograph because I didn't want to wait till I was 45 and my dance career was over. You know I should still be dancing. Uh, Timeline. I should I should be on doing my eight shows a week. That's what I should be doing. I should have been doing that for the past 10 years. But instead I shifted to choreography because I just. Had that feeling, that I, I, uh, that passion, that artist passion, and it wasn't until like about four years ago, after doing a few Broadway shows, that I finally went, oh, I'm an artist. It was like, oh, I started to care about the process and everything. Before you should just get to do some sta- steps. Oh, that's just fun. No, that's cool. People pay attention. <laughs> and then you finally learn, no, you can actually create out of nothing and. Move people and do stu- storytelling, and that's why I was fascinated. That's why I asked a lot of questions of playwrights because I'm only now starting a new journey with collaborating with the in- the creative side with other creative people, as opposed to just going in, create a number hey, here, do a little entertain. Da-da. No, I want to I want to get into this room about you know not worry mm-hmm. about not worry about what the critics say or how much money it's making. I want to create the art and discover that because I've lacked.
2: That level. And that's Did why you I'm have that's a mentor name. who, you know, sort of inspired you to do the work that you do? Or it sort of sounds like Robin Jerry Robbins. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Can I ask a question, which would be, what is the most exciting part of what you do? Is it is a great it question. in mm-hmm. the rehearsal room? Is it when you're conceiving it? Is it when the piece opens and you see it works? Because I I know what it is for me, and I know for most playwrights, so I'm not sure. With and what is that for you as a playwright? Uh, it's it it's. It Certainly, it's not – the play is open and it's a hit, it has nothing to do with, with that part. Um, probably the most exciting is in the writing, when something is happening, or it can be in collaboration, when so- in, in rehearsal. When, when something has suddenly emerged, when it's collaborating, it's when I no long- you no longer know who gave an idea, or it's a line, and an actor does something, and then you see something you didn't see, in the director, and something happens there, and you say, oh my god, look what that can do.
4: Those are the magic moments. No, or magic or when Those I'm writing, and
0: suddenly yeah. it takes yeah. over, and I say, wow! When you're not – it has not – then the piece is up, and I say, oh, thank God, it resembles what I want, and the audience has moved. But that feeling is very different for me, mm-hmm. and, I, I, and I would think it's when – you're, you're, you're not in control, when something is I think on that's the right. right. You
6: said the right word, when you're not in control, which is very interesting, because you think of being a director, being in control. But actually, for me, I, I love the rehearsal process. That's, that's it. I mean, I could spend my life rehearsing. Um, and I d- but there is that moment when something has happened, and you don't really know how. You know, yes, you put all those forces into play, but all of a sudden, it all comes together, and it's the music, it's the choreography, it's the, the, the words, it's the lyrics, everything just comes together, and it just well, it breathes. And that, I think, is um, – those are the magic moments.
0: I think that it has – there's also a moment when that happens, and you're completely without ego. <laughs> so if you've written, or you've directed, or you're an actor, it's not logical. You can't explain right. how this happened. You right. knew you did the preparation. Right. You've paid your dues. Something has occurred. Mm-hmm. It's not inspiration. You haven't sat around waiting for something to strike, and you did something. and, and you're an intermediary. You've discovered mm-hmm. something. You picked up something. Said, "Oh," and you were able to recognize what it was, and it happens. And because, and then afterwards, it feels weird because then you are praised. Oh, you wrote a wonderful play, or you mm-hmm. cho- choreographed, yeah. you directed it wonderfully. And right. in fact, when it was happening. I don't think that's what you're thinking. Th- you're, mm-hmm. you're there with this group, and something is occurring that you're takes you out of your secret
6: Someone <laughs> asked me. Someone asked me about a moment in Sweeney Todd, and they said, well, how did you ever come up with that? How did you ever come up with it? And I went, I'm going to really disappoint you. I have no idea. It just happened.
2: That's where some of the best ideas come from. M- Moises, could you answer that question about that magic moment that um, Arthur's asking about?
7: I don't know. what. <laughs> I think for me there are two moments – I was trying to debate because there are two moments that I think of when I think of those. One is just when, when I begin to think about a project, and I begin to just mm. – and I, and I stop – and I find myself not being able to think about other things. And when that kind of mm-hmm. devouring thing begins to occur where your mind is <laughs> – thi- everything that happens only reflects and references what you've been thinking about. That is thrilling. and the, the, But then, as e- equally as strong is – I really have a, a great adoration of actors. I think that what actors do is just mm. astonishing. And when I am in, in a room with actors, I find myself always being elated. Even with a, when a scene is not working well, you, this, this crazy idea of somebody pretending to go through something, mm. or pretending to be somebody else, or devoting their life to this idea of what is our humanity fills me with such awe. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. being in a room with actors, it's just, I, I don't know, it's a big thrill. I still, I still, like on the first day of rehearsal, or even the, in the middle of the week, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh my god,
1: you
0: know, how you <laughs> do that? <laughs> there's, there's a deep bond between writers and I think directors and actors, and you become the same person. They extend mm-hmm. you. They show you something about yourself. You're connected. It's not – It's do- a collaboration. It's, a, it, it's a, such a deep relationship yeah. that happens and you together discover something but what the actor does is awesome when they d- and and when they're doing something that they're giving you a gift they, they they become naked they're 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 on a tight rope and there's no safety net
4: i think it's also partially like giving birth because people come together and it's like these things and this thing gets created and y- each moment, when it happens in a rehearsal room or it happens in the pre-production between, like, writer-director-inquereg or something, or the musical director, you know, uh, which I – he's a music directors are unsung heroes in musical mm-hmm. theatre, because no one's really aware of how much work they actually put into the creative process. But, uh, you know, even when it happens on stage and the audience goes, <coughs> yay, or they start crying, those little moments, it's like you've given birth to. Mm-hmm. Something special, it's I with alive. The Japanese that isn't director
3: Yukio nagawa and he s- he made the same reference. He said that the the playwright was like the father, and the actors were like the mother, and all the director was was kind of the midwife, kind <laughs> of just <laughs> <laughs> just trying to just bring this thing carefully, yeah. carefully into the world. Um, How about you? Well, have that, that, what's that
5: magic? It's moment? very much the same. I mean, I actually really like it when. You're in the room with them, and something's not working. This is my favorite part. Yeah, part. Something's yeah. not working, and then I can go, wait a minute, wait a minute. And you go, take that line out there, do this, do it, and you just and, – and usually, the actors know what you're doing well before the stage manager, the director, and they're like, well, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, don't – it'll work. And then the actors all read it, and all of a sudden, it goes mm-hmm. it's, it's so exciting. Mm-hmm.
0: There was a moment when the Dramatists Guild, two years ago, had a, um, a gala in the spring. And the event that they showed for the people who were there were series of what were called outtakes. <laughs> right. I was
1: there. Uh, by, uh, <laughs> in-
0: including a, a an outtake from Fiddler on the Roof, the uh-huh. initial openings moment yeah. from West Side Story. Marsha Norman did one, David Henry Wang uh, did a scene, Arthur Miller did a, an outtake from, from The Crucible. And I was so proud to be a member of the Drama Guild and to be a playwright, because every single one of those scenes was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, these writers absolutely, without hesitation, cut a scene that you would give your eye teeth to write. Not because the scene was no good, mm-hmm. but because the scene didn't help the show in the long run. They knew – I wish that other playwrights could have seen what good writers cut from their pieces
4: you do it all the time we do it correct for
0: you do it all the
4: time you you, do right. kill, it your de- you kill your firstborn, and your most loved <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. okay because if you you gotta you're a playwright or director, you know right. one throws off the right. boat right. so everyone can <laughs> make if it if you
0: cannot you know. cut <laughs> if you can't <laughs> cut it out this is not the business that's you've right. got to be able to say hey i'll do it again
2: mm-hmm. doesn't
0: help poof it's,
2: it's not enough i know isabel has a question that she wants what
1: this gator offer us that no other media does
2: what is it that the theatre offers us that live. we can't get know. It's elsewhere. the
0: danger of the live performance. Mm-hmm. It's never the same. It happens yeah. at that, that moment. And that high-wire act.
2: It's the high-wire wire wire wire. and The it's
0: actor a, gives you something. If they're doing the job right, it is dangerous, and it does something else. The audience completes mm-hmm. the bond. Mm-hmm. Right. The show doesn't happen without them. We can show a movie, and one person can see it. I can see it by myself, and I'll appreciate it. I c- one person cannot see a play. This is a crowd, and this is what happens, well, and that bond happens, and the audience completes mm-hmm. it. It's why actors applaud the audience; it's, it's they're part of the production. The it's performance. more
4: primal; it's human nature. It's, right. it's, it's, I'm, I'm live. I'm a human, and the audience is a human, and together, it's human behavior. It's like life. You know, it's, it's the caveman around the fire. It's dancing around the fire, whereas we've gotten so technologically savvy, and we can like. We can feel all these emotions alone by ourselves in a dark room, and we can create the wall of virtual everything. Virtual (laughs) everything. The sound can be so perfect. And I think what theatre gives us now is we're so in need of human contact. And that's why um, I think theatre will always survive, because we can't recreate that. It's a mother – you can't recreate a a mother's – touch to the child, and you can't create the family entity. And I think that's why theatre is such a bond, because we create family. Each show, we create a new family. We have to share, and we have to love, and we have to hate, and we fight. you have to be dependent on each
6: other, You have to be dependent.
4: And I think
2: that's what theatre does. And we've created a little family here today, Mm -hmm. with a little performance (laughs) today. (laughs) We're just about out of time, and I wanted to take this opportunity to thank this incredible panel for sharing their insights into the theater collaborative process with us today and to thank Isabel Stevenson for hosting us today thank you. and uh, you thank have been watching all of
1: you for being here. Oh, thank you and this you've been great. watching it's really So exciting to have mm-hmm. you here.:
2: You've been watching the American Theatre Wings working in the theater seminars coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Thank you for joining us.